But when you're writing on paper, that artistic intuitive side, the imagery side, is showing a lot more neural activity. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Poudois, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. Our goal is to equip teachers and teaching parents with methods and materials which will aid them in training their students to become confident and competent communicators and thinkers. So, Andrew, this talk that you give at homeschool conventions, Paper and Pen, What the Research Says, you you started off last week talking about four different areas, and yet we only got to one of those areas. Well, that's okay because there are more slides with that one area oh, I see. in okay. the talk. So it's, it's, you know, not perfectly balanced four areas. The fourth area is just like one little thing. Okay, which you love because it was something that you've been talking about for a very long time. Uh, So we're going to talk about writing. So last week was mostly about reading. So now we're talking about writing. So reading paper, a paper book versus reading on a screen, like a Kindle or some type of e-reader. Exactly. Okay. So I don't think you ever answered this question that I had for you because maybe I didn't ask it, did it surprise you that the research supported paper over screens? Or is that something you kind of intuitively knew? Well, I think I I felt that. Mm-hmm. But you're always thinking, well, is this because I'm old <laughs> and used to that? Mm-hmm. But, you know, particularly like Dr. Mangan's research with 10th graders right. who are not old and did not grow up in a world with no screens – uh, it was true for them as well. Right. Right. So. So young or old. So, so the, listen. Yeah, you know, I would say the research generally confirmed what I thought or believed, mm-hmm. but I didn't go to try and proof text it. Oh, you of know, course. I didn't sure. try to find only research that supported that. Right. And I know when we get to one of the topics we're talking about today, your opinion did change as a result of some research that you had done. That's true. That's well, true. And for listeners, if you are just completely clueless and have no idea what we're talking about, go back and listen to last week's podcast. Absolutely. And let's go on to yeah. writing. So uh, today, then, we're talking about writing, uh, not composition, but the act of putting letters and words into existence. Mm-hmm. So the first question is typing versus writing on paper okay, or handwriting. And that comes up a lot, mm-hmm. right? The next question is cursive versus printing. Oh, okay, right. And that comes up a bit. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is if you're writing on paper, what should you write with, mm-hmm. pen or pencil? Got it, okay. So a lot of parents will ask me, is it important that my child write on paper? He would prefer to type his compositions. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? So it is a question that interfaces what we do mm-hmm. at IEW quite a bit. And my normal response is, I believe it is good to keep a child writing on paper at least the first you know, draft for as long as possible. At a certain age... 
right, 12, 13, probably certainly by 14, you will lose the fight. But at least they had, you know, five or six years of putting words on paper with mm-hmm. a pen or pencil. And that will give them the lifetime aptitude. Mm-hmm. If you let a child at, you know, eight or nine or 10 start typing everything, they could actually end up as an adult who really doesn't have a fluency or a comfortability of writing on paper. Right. And I think almost all of us value our ability to do that. Most of what you and I write every day, we type, but we still like to be able to handwrite, you know, a birthday card or something, uh, or even take notes in a meeting. Exactly. Yep. On paper. So uh, now, are there exceptions? Absolutely, because you do have some children who have, you know, a, a dyslexia or dysgraphia that is serious enough that they just can't put letters on paper mm-hmm. and even in even a, a semi-legible manner. So what do you do then? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's kind of a different question. Right. But the question today is, which is generally better, particularly in how it affects the brain? Okay. This first study was published in Computers and Education, March 2013, and it got a lot of it got a lot of traction. Okay. In fact, that was the original place, but it got reposted and republished and re-mentioned by a lot of people. So this was a study that showed that lap – oh, the title. You always got to get the title, and then you don't have to say anything else. Okay, <laughs> next study. But this one is titled uh, by Sana et, et al. Quote, laptop multitasking hinders classroom learning for both users and nearby peers. So what they found is that people in a classroom who were taking notes on a laptop were tempted to multitask, Mm. right? And they scored lower on a test of comprehension of the material that had been presented during the lecture. Sure. So that's kind of like Mm no-brainer. Duh. Checking the email, playing another hand of solitaire, off you go. However, what they also found in this same study was that the participants who were in view of the multitaskers also scored lower. Yes. And and you know how tough it is to not be distracted by Mm -hmm. something on a screen. You know, even sitting in an airplane, somebody pulls up their laptop, they're watching some dumb thing, Mm -hmm. and you're trying to work, and there's that screen right next Mm -hmm. to you. Mm -hmm. It's, It's hard to just not see it at all. So, uh, you know, that was an interesting uh, study, I thought. Another study, which also got big traction, this was published in Psychological Science in June 2014. So these are all peer-reviewed journals. This is, you know, not a a pop magazine or a Mm -hmm. blog. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was uh, two, two professors, Pam Muller from Princeton and Daniel Oppenheimer from UCLA, Here they uh, wrote an article that said, the pen is mightier than the keyboard, Mm. advantages of longhand over laptop note-taking. Okay. So this was studying, again, college students, those who were taking notes on paper during lectures Mm -hmm. versus those who were typing Mm -hmm. the notes. Here they found that even when all the distractions were removed, so no multitasking possible, no games, no internet, just you and a Word doc, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, they found that laptop note-takers scored lower on conceptual questions. Paper note-takers, and this this is so interesting for what we do, paper note-takers would write less and therefore listen more. 
creating keyword outlines. Exactly.、Mm-hmm. Whereas the laptop note takers were tending to write down exactly what they heard because、mm-hmm. you can type fast. Most people can type faster than they handwrite.、Mm-hmm. So they were they were typing more but hearing less.、Mm-hmm. Whereas the paper note takers would tend to, in the words of Miller and Oppenheimer, rephrase before、mm-hmm. they would write it down. Thereby internalizing the idea. That's fascinating. Yep. So right from the the transmission from the mouth of the instructor into the brain, and then it having to be filtered and sorted and and stated, and then with an economy of words.、Mm-hmm. And of、mm-hmm. course, we know if you teach kids to take notes in key words. Then they don't write all sorts of little words like in and with and the and because that you really don't need.、Uh, so you can be even more efficient.、Mm-hmm. So that got quite a lot of traction. That particular study, Yale psychologist Paul Bloom, who was admittedly a skeptic about the Mueller-Oppenheimer study, he said, "I find this a little bit ironic. With handwriting, the very act of putting it down forces you to focus on what's important." He said. He added. After pausing to consider, maybe it helps you think better. Oh, interesting! He paused to consider. Yes, <laughs> maybe it helps you think better.、Uh, back to our、uh, literacy superhero and Mangan、okay. from、uh, Stavanger University in Norway.、Uh, we mentioned her last week.、Mm-hmm. Uh, she published in 2015 in the Journal of Writing Research. An article called "Handwriting versus Keyboard Writing: Effect on Word Recall." So I don't know why, but in this study, she used only females. Okay, maybe it's because she couldn't find any males who were willing to do this. But <laughs>、uh, so she had 36 adult females, and some of the, and she read single words out loud, and some of them were typing the、mm-hmm. words that she read, and others were. Writing on paper、mm-hmm. the words that she said.、Mm-hmm. Then their notes were removed, and the ones who wrote on paper had about a fifteen percent greater recall. Just a free recall. Can how many of the words that I said can you remember? Sure. Wow. So again, and and I've read other studies. I don't have them right here. One particularly I remember from Psychology Today that talked about one of the best ways to help yourself remember something. Is to write it on paper, so that's is supported by Mangan's research. Okay, but there's a problem with writing all of these notes on paper, and I am living proof of this. I have notebooks and, and notebooks, notebooks, and of, notebooks. F- of filled with notes from meetings that,、mm-hmm. you know, I I'm never really quite sure when I should get rid of them because I might need to refer back to them or something.、Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about putting it in a keyboard, keyboard、sure. is you can store it electronically,、yeah. and it、Absolutely. takes up less room. But yet here I am today, recording this podcast with a notebook in my hand. Right, and but but it may be that you don't actually write everything down because you think you, you know, might need it later.、Mm-hmm. You write it down because you believe it might help you remember better. It's you're absolutely right. Yep.、So. Uh, and it, it's interesting because it creates a visual reinforcement of a thought that you had or the thing that someone said. So if I say something to you, that's a that's an auditory input. If you then write it down and see it, then you are creating multisensory input for yourself. Right. So you're using more of your brain 
to process that bit of information. Right. And it's something else that just occurred to me, we talk about keyword outlines, and of course we know that numbers, symbols, abbreviations are free. And so drawing a symbol on a keyboard, forget it. Forget it. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, another superhero of research is Virginia Berenger. Uh, this study, uh, she's from the University of Washington Department of Education, and she did a five-year overlapping cohort longitudinal study, which sounds really big to me. Yep. Uh, but here she found that when children write letters by hand, mm-hmm. it increases the speed with which they recognize those letters later. Oh. Which which is one of the reasons I'm very cautious about a screen-based r- reading program. Mm-hmm. Because if children write letters on paper, they will be able to recognize those letters elsewhere in different shapes and sizes more easily. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's on a screen and it's always kind of the same, if they see it in a different font or in a different size or context, it's mm. harder. She also studied uh, the composition of children grade two to five. And here she found that those who wrote on paper wrote more words and had more ideas mm. than I assume than those who are typing. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little odd because you think about children who are seven, eight, nine, ten years old, they may not be able to type as fast. Oh true. And if there was a time element, they might have not been able to do the same amount in the time. If there's no time element, then yeah, you would think, okay, the kids writing on paper were more into it, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. She also noticed that handwriting improves self-control, and uh, there's a a huge research on that. Uh, We'll get to it when we talk about cursive. And then there's a number of studies that show that writing on paper causes more and also different neural activity. So uh, that was Beringer. Beringer, I believe, is in contact with Ann Mangan, and Mangan uh, contributed... Uh, with another guy, uh, Villet, a chapter to a book called Advances in Haptics. Oh, okay. Now, when I saw this, I had never in my life seen the word haptics, Mm -hmm. so I had to look it up. Mm -hmm. I guess that it's more commonly known because you can program your phone to give a haptic response. Yep. So if you have, like, your calculator app, you can tell it to give you a little click. So you hear when you've touched the (laughs) thing, and it's more discreet. Anyway, this article was entitled Digitizing Literacy Reflections on the Haptics of Writing. Hmm. And here, uh, with multiple studies cited, this chapter indicates that when we are reading and writing, we are using our hands. Mm -hmm. And the use of hands, when our hands are more involved, we get a better result. So obviously, you know, if you're reading, it's mostly your eyes, but then sometimes you're holding a book a certain way. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. fMRI data shows that different brain areas are activated and that writing on paper causes more bilateral cortical activity. So using both sides of your brain. Yeah. So so when you're typing, it's more on the executive mechanical side and less on the artistic intuitive side. But when you're writing on paper that artistic intuitive side, the imagery side, is showing a lot more neural activity. So that uh, is probably a study that contributed to Virginia Beringer's research as well. And then this one, Karen James at the University of Indiana put uh, several studies together in one article 
entitled The Effects of Handwriting Experience on the Functional Brain Development in Pre-Literate Children. Okay. This was published Trends in Neuroscience, 2013. And here they found that pre-reading children, when copying letters, had more complex or adult-like neural activity than those who had only seen or selected letters. Wow, that's really fascinating, Andrew. So you're basically saying it's okay to teach a child to write before they can read, before sure. they even before they even know the names of the letters. Right, because for them it's like here's a pattern you try to copy. It's sure. kind of like artwork. Oh, right. right? I mean, mm -hmm. it begins like artwork and then it moves and connects with language. Mm -hmm. She also found that children attempting to copy letters freehand showed significantly more neural activity than those tracing or selecting on a screen. Mm -hmm. Again, a reason to be, you know, on paper with kids at that beginning reading and writing level as opposed to a screen-based form of instruction. Well, screen-based, but you also said without tracing. And so many penmanship programs have an element of tracing in them. They do, and it's probably not entirely bad. Mm -hmm. uh, Marie Montessori had the sandpaper letters, so mm -hmm. there's a, there is a sensory element. However, trying to copy without tracing, mm -hmm. evidently, according to this study, shows more neural activity because, yeah, you're working harder. Yeah, and a yeah. um, little plug there for our printing with letter stories and cursive knowledge, cursive knowledge. handwriting programs. Oh. There's no tracing in there. Well, it's a good thing you mentioned that because the next topic here okay. is printing versus cursive. Okay, right. So there's two opposite views on this. Mm -hmm. The first uh, was expressed by Morgan Polikoff, I believe is how his name would be pronounced, assistant professor of education at the University of Southern California. Hmm. And he wrote this uh, in a New York Times discussion, Room for Debate, in 2013. So I think he articulates this kind of modern attitude. He says, cursive should not be taught. Hmm. Reasons. Very few people use it. Two, there is little research to show the positive effect on other learning, although I might suggest that is Morgan Polikoff found very little research to mm, show. <laughs> mm. Then this is where his credibility kind of came into question in my view. He, he said, the common core, which are well-constructed standards, mm. does not include cursive. So there's a logical fallacy there, but mm -hmm. we won't get into it. And then his fourth reason is that cursive instruction is time-consuming and would take away from more important areas of learning for young children. So that is the argument against cursive. Mm -hmm. William Clem, Ph.D. at Psychology Today, same year, 2013, responded the argument for cursive. He says cursive should be taught. Number one, it builds greater sensory motor coordination. Mm -hmm. Two, it develops the brain better than printing. And there is some research we'll mention to support that. Uh, three, learning to write in cursive allows a person to read it. And I, I remember seeing this cute little cartoon of these two old ladies sitting mm -hmm. there talking and, and they're holding a, a piece of paper or something. And the little caption below says, ha ha, pretty soon cursive will be our secret code. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but it is the case where mm -hmm. I have seen uh, uh, children who got a 
handwritten letter from a grandparent in cursive but could not read it because they had never learned to write it. Uh, he also points out that cursive letters are more distinct and easier to recognize. Mm-hmm. That and, and this I've seen myself personally. Cursive writing prevents letter reversals. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's helpful for kids with dyslexia. Mm-hmm. So when you think about it, if you are a dyslexic tendency or, or diagnosed dyslexic, and you're learning to write a B or a D, like you make a stick and then you go one way or the other, you're going to have a a difficult time. But when you think about making a cursive B, it's a completely different kinesthetic motion than making a cursive D. Right. Plus, you're always, pretty much always going the same way. Mm -hmm. So that idea of, of reversals. I've been in schools where it was a cursive first school, mm-hmm. and all of the children were writing cursive. There mm-hmm. was no option. And I saw virtually no letter reversals anywhere. Hmm. Whereas any normal group of kind of random homeschoolers, some of whom learn cursive, some of don't, you'll see that fair share of letter reversals. He also points out that uh, students acquire a sense of accomplishment and pride as their cursive develops. And uh, I find it funny, though, you can, you know, teach everybody the exact same system of cursive, but 10 years down line, their handwriting is all different. Uh, So there is that individuality. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's people who study that kind of handwriting analysis and look into your personality and can tell (laughs) if you're a psychopath or something. I don't know. Um, uh, Back to Virginia Berenger. Uh, the University of Washington researcher, she published in Developmental Neuropsychology uh, back in 2006 an article entitled Early Development of Language by Hand, Composing, Reading, Listening, and Speaking Connections, Three Letter Writing Modes, and Fast Mapping and Spelling. Wow. Sounds like a fairly extensive yes. <laughs> um, article. One thing she pointed out here is that we store cursive and manuscript in different parts of the brain. Hmm. So stroke victims will sometimes lose the ability to read print but retain the ability to read cursive. Oh, interesting. Or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So that when you have that focal brain injury that can affect your your ability to read. So if you have both, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got more brain connections Hmm. going on there. And then back to uh, Anne Mangan uh, and Digitizing Literacy, the chapter in Advances in Haptics, she stated that the neurological benefits of cursive writing appear to be similar as to playing a musical instrument. Mm. So that there's that, again, that left-right, you know, bilateral cortical integration Mm -hmm. that's happening there. And this is kind of a funny one. I, I found this article on the Miami-Dade County Public Schools website. Okay. It was an article entitled, Should Cursive Handwriting Still Be Taught in Schools? And it was citing multiple studies. Sure. Evidently, Miami-Dade did readopt cursive, at least at that time, as did, surprisingly, New York City School District. Mm-hmm. But uh, what they found was uh, correlation. Students with better cursive handwriting received higher scores on standardized composition tests, especially the SAT and ACT. Part of that could be because cursive writing, if you do it easily, you know, if you've been doing it for long enough, uh, you can write faster. Right. And we know from other studies that longer essays score better. Yep. 
So that's one aspect. This one surprised me when I first read it. It's the National Academy of Science Institute of Medicine. Quote, doctors' poor handwriting is responsible for the death of over 7,000 people each year. Oh, dear. (laughs) And when I gave this talk once, it was a small group and Mm -hmm. kind of an intimate room. And I said, I just find that really hard to believe. And one lady says, no, I worked as an emergency room nurse. And I'll tell you, it's very believable, Mm -hmm. which is probably why right now in medicine, there's such a huge trend to get rid of paper altogether. Yes. And the doctors don't write anything. They dictate. And then they have people who transcribe. And so there's less likely for a letter like your blood type (laughs) to be misread. You know, who knows? Yeah. My physician brings his laptop in when we're having a consultation and he's writing everything down right into his laptop. No handwriting. Yeah. Yeah. And my daughter, Fiona, who's in medical Mm, school now, Mm -hmm. she worked uh, as a scribe Mm. uh, in in a a clinic. I can't remember what specialty it was, Mm -hmm. but her whole job was to follow doctors around and write down everything they say. Mm. Oh, wow. So... Great, great practice was, for medical school. Huh? Yeah, she she said she learned a lot. So hopefully we won't have 7,000 people a year dying from doctor's no. bad handwriting. But yeah. uh, okay, so uh, one more thing to mention here is cursive as treatment for ADHD. Hmm. And uh, a woman named Jeanette Farmer, who has passed on in the last decade, created a program called Retrain the Brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, her website, though dated, is very interesting retrainthebrain.com mm-hmm. and uh, I bought her program and just the bibliography of research studies she had mm-hmm. was a couple dozen pages long Wow! Uh, but she claimed that movement is the key to learning and that through motion we train the brain and, and she claimed that through a combination of cursive copywork and rhythmic music you could actually treat ADHD. Hmm. Now, obviously, there are some children for whom it's more extreme than others. Sure. But when you think about it, if if you're an ADD kid or ADHD kid and you're writing and you write a letter, you're kind of done. Okay, well, next letter, where is it? Mm-hmm. Whereas if you are learning cursive, you have to write a letter and keep going to right. the next letter until you finish the word. And right. so that habit of continuing, right? Uh, she claims, helped to train the brain. Yeah, because you don't even cross your T's or dot your I's until you're done writing that word. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last thing to mention in terms of cursive is the argument for cursive first. Okay. And this is a little bit weird for many people because mm-hmm. most of us had the experience or we're in this world where everybody assumes you teach children to print and then maybe around third grade, mm-hmm. you teach them cursive. Mm-hmm. Um, Sam Blumenfeld wrote an article in The Benefits of Cursive Writing, published in a highly regarded journal, okay. Practical Homeschooling. Oh, very good. <laughs> number 63 in 2005. <laughs> um, he made an argument for cursive first, mm-hmm. which is that young children naturally make curves and circles before they make straight lines. Interesting. And it's true. If you watch a you know, a, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and I have mm-hmm. a two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter I get to watch a lot, and she's got two older siblings, both of whom are really into drawing and writing. Mm-hmm. And when she tries to draw stuff, it's, it's mm-hmm. roundish mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Straight lines are, are harder. Mm-hmm. 
Second thing is writing habits are formed in the first few years. Mm. So if you do cursive first, you don't have to kind of relearn something new. Mm -hmm. It's natural. Printing first can cause resistance to cursive because it's going to be harder and take longer and slower. And then here's something that I had heard, but he reaffirmed that. Historically, only cursive was taught to children in schools until the 1900s. Hmm. So all through, you know, the 17, 1800s, we think about, you know, schools in the colonies and the states in that early part. Everyone learned cursive first. The irony is it was the advent of the typewriter that caused people to think, oh, we have to teach children how to print letters like a typewriter in order to be able to read it. Of course, there'd been TypeScript for hundreds of years before sure, that. Nobody sure. had a problem learning to read it. Right, so. right. Interesting. Um, and he points out that you can learn to print after you learn cursive. So there's no reason. So something to, to think about. So if any of our listeners have been through my teaching, writing, structure, and style seminar, they'll know that I have observed over my teaching decades that pens are better than pencils. And my reasons are pencils are neurologically tactile and emotionally disturbing to children, and I can prove it because they always want to sharpen their pencil, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And the reason isn't because they want to get up and move around. It's because that pencil is continuously changing. So you start, and it gives you one level of friction, and two minutes later, it's different, and two minutes later, it's different, and two minutes later, it's so different, you want it to be normal. Also, pencils are not black, in order to make darker marks, which children who have a bit of visual immaturity or mild dyslexia, they always want darker marks, mm -hmm. especially boys. They want darker. Mm -hmm. It's easier to see. Well, pencils aren't black. They're gray. To make it darker, generally, you try to push harder, which not only you know causes it to break the tip of the pencil and you have to sharpen it, it can cause that tired hand disease. Mm -hmm. And then I've noticed erasing is a horrific waste of time and that it kind of disrupts the flow of thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got to flip the pencil, rub it out, brush off the eraser dropping, slip the pencil. It takes four times longer to erase a word than it does to write one. And it can disrupt the flow of thought. So I finally came up. I, f I discovered. I was so excited to find this. This was uh, Shirley Tawney. God bless her soul because I'm pretty sure she's dead now. National Council of Teachers of English Journal 1967. Oh, wow. She published an article called An Analysis of the Ballpoint Pen Versus the Pencil as a Beginning Writing Instrument. Mm. She taught first grade. Mm -hmm. And she found that first grade students using pen had, one, less grip tightness, two, faster writing speed, papers less smudging, and no erasing encouraged better thinking. Interesting. So... That's a, pretty much exactly what I have seen, yep. but I haven't done an academic study or published a <laughs> master's thesis on this subject. No. So, but anyway, those are, you know, those are some reflections mm -hmm. on writing, and we all have to navigate our way, mm -hmm. balancing modern technology yep. with traditional approach. And uh, so, there's probably a few more recent studies that uh, I should find and update what I've got. One thing I found about doing research is you find one thing. And you find another thing, and you find a third thing, and you think, wow, these are all corroborating each other, only actually they're all quoting the same original study. Yep. <laughs> and so you may find something with a newer date, but it may be referencing an older published article. Exactly, exactly. Well, at the beginning of this podcast, I had mentioned that 
in your research, you have found some things that might have shifted your thinking about one of these topics. And what would you say is probably that topic? Well, the cursive, Mm -hmm. you know, because I was a person who stopped doing cursive as soon as they let me, which was ninth grade. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't do it for a long time. And I kind of was of the attitude, you know, really, what's the value? Mm -hmm. But at 50 years old, which is before I did this research, I decided to retrain myself Mm -hmm. to do cursive. And it took a while. I I was teaching Latin at the time. So I just decided to do all my Latin work, workbooks and lists, writing and translation, and just do all of that in cursive. And so it took, I think, you know, seven, eight months. But I did get to a point where I could write in cursive as fast or faster than I could in my old kind of hybrid printing, Mm -hmm. messier style. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I am, you know, very much delighted. And I always affirm kids. If I'm teaching a class and I see some child who is writing in cursive, I'll say, hey, that's nice to see. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people today don't learn that. That's Mm -hmm. great. Keep Mm -hmm. it up, you know, just to affirm. Yep. Well, that's good. Well, thank you, Andrew. It's always interesting to go a little deeper into what it is we do here and, you know, find reasons that what we're doing is actually the right thing. So thank you for that. Sure. Thanks so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, or just visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. Until then, on behalf of Andrew Pudua and the team at IEW, I thank you for allowing us to partner with you on your journey toward better listening, speaking, reading, writing, and thinking.